Welcome to Hashtag Jazz, the family-friendly Grow a f***ing pair Podcast exclusively about Utah jazz basketball I hate this history class From two of the most Emotionally unstable Guys in the business And now, here are your hosts Jason Walker and Trey Sanders Hello everybody and welcome back Thank you so much for tuning in or clicking in. I don't know what the term is for a podcast, because tuning in isn't actually a thing with the podcast. It's not a radio. But anyway, thank you so much. We're pretty happy so far with this season. Uh, Jazz won, I think, three straight now. Is it three, or is it four? No, it's three, because they they lost the first game of the week. or They lost uh, in a game that I'd rather forget. To the oh yeah, <laughs> to the Grizzlies, and now they've won three straight. They won against the Rockets without who are missing. They're missing Chris Paul, and missing Chris Paul. Then they beat the Pelicans, who are missing Anthony Davis, and then they beat the Mavericks, who I don't know were they missing Dirk Nowitzki. Is Dirk Nowitzki still on the team? Yeah, well, no, he had, like, some surgery or something. But even with Dirk on that team, I mean, you're not missing much. Dude's, yeah. like, 50 years old. I just had to throw him in here just because, you know, somebody had to be missing somebody. Cause sure. the, Jazz, the Jazz have been playing some uh, injury riddled or at least, you know, not quite full-strength teams. But they've taken advantage of it. They've they've got, uh, I was going to say double-digit wins, but they only beat the Mavericks by 9. But they beat the Rockets by 11, the Pelicans by, oh, what is that, 21? Something like that, and then the Mavericks by nine. So they did pretty well in taking advantage of those teams when they were missing. So you, you can't accuse them of being unadvantageous. Um, well, it's Quinn's system is advantage basketball, so it kind of plays into that. But yeah, I mean, when you, when a team is weak, you have to you have to win that game. Yeah, and I think the frustrating thing is I feel like when we've had these opportunities. I mean, last year with Boston, they were missing about everybody and a half, and we lost to them. And I can't remember if that one was at home or not, but <clears throat> we lost to them when Boston was missing everybody. And there are just other times when a team would be missing a star player, and we somehow would either be just really close or wouldn't be able to beat them for some dumb reason. But now we're actually doing that, and we're having this kind of more of a, I don't know, a killer's mentality where we're actually finishing and taking advantage when when the Jazz are a better team. Yeah, sure. I mean, they've taken what they learned from last season. I mean, it's nice to see them bounce back after the two losses um, to Golden State and Memphis, especially to take that on the road, too. Yeah, this is certainly impressive. They've actually won every game on the road this year and lost both home games, which is kind of weird. But you, you take what you can get. To be honest, the Jazz are a a bad bounce and one bad performance away from being unbeaten this season. So overall, you have to be satisfied. And and one thing, when you look at the first week, there were some concerns because we weren't really seeing Utah Jazz basketball. We had back-to-back high-scoring games, one with the Kings and one with with the Warriors. It wasn't really Jazz basketball. We weren't seeing what we were used to. Now we've kind of gone back to what we're used to. There was the, you know, 
perennial ugly game with Memphis. It feels like every time we play Memphis, it's super ugly, and somehow we also manage to lose. Because I feel like I remember a game like this last year, where it was super ugly, and the Jazz ended up losing. But then you have kind of a grinded-out win over the Rockets, where they, you know, they only scored 100 points. Um, they did kind of get into a shootout with New Orleans, but overall they were defensively sound in that game. Yeah. And then this game against Dallas, it was, you know, 113-114, not too far off what we'd expect this, what we would expect this team to be doing last year when they were in that late run, um, beating teams by scores not too far off what they did against the Mavericks or the Rockets for that matter. I don't know. I mean, it's all different teams because the Jazz always tend to, and I, David Locke actually pointed this out on his uh, podcast where he pointed out that the Jazz struggling against teams that play the drop big, whether it's Portland, Memphis, um, and even Dallas for that matter, they play the drop big and we always tend to have trouble with that because Rudy just isn't his own independent force down there quite yet. So I see where he's coming from in that sense because when it forces us to shoot, it's kind of going to their heads a little bit in that sense. But to respond the way they did against New Orleans, like Rudy literally just was doing whatever he wanted in that game um, and kind of was doing whatever he wanted to tonight too. So it's – I mean, we'll see what happens because, I mean, we have Memphis, what, next week? Yeah, next Friday. Again? Yeah. So – We'll see if they learned anything from there. I mean, we've also got Boston coming into town, and Brad Stevens knows how to play against Quinn Snyder, so that's going to be a fun one. Yeah, I think it's really interesting with Rudy Gobert because he's had some really good games early on. He's had back-to-back 20-point games, and he's doing really well on the offensive end. It's not like he's doing anything spectacular. He's not Carl Anthony Towns or Joel Embiid or any of these other guys. Uh, in terms of in the post, you know, doing these fancy moves, driving to the basket. He's just, you know, old-fashioned putbacks, the you know, the kind of the DeAndre Jordan that we saw a few years back. And you could feel Rudy Gobert's impact. I mean, early on he got into some foul trouble, and that really hurt the Jazz defensively. And then in the second half, he you know, was kind of getting out of that foul trouble. And he was dominating the game, getting putbacks, really clamping down on defense. And that's when the Jazz kind of started to pull away a little bit, kind of in that third quarter and then into the fourth quarter where they'd survived this run in the second quarter by the Mavericks. And then they were able to get things going as Donovan Mitchell started getting some points. Rudy Gobert was doing well. And, you know, Jay Crowder got some points as well. So Rudy Gobert is definitely a huge part of this team. And he's really been the only player, at least main rotation player, that I can safely say has not played bad, really, this entire season. I mean, you look at Rudy Gobert, his game log, he's shooting over 60% in every single game, really over 66% in every single game, double-double in every single game this far. He's averaging around two to three blocks a game. He's getting to the free-throw line. He's doing everything that's been asked of him, and in the times when the Jazz have struggled, it's fallen on some of the other guys. Donovan Mitchell's had some bad games. Ricky Rubio's really only had one good game. Uh, and you know we, we talked about this last week. Several guys were really struggling, and, and they started to pick it up this week, which is why they won three out of four games. But yeah, sure, Rudy yeah, Gobert's I think I think the, for sure, and I think Memphis kind of woke the team up too, because even um, I mean we even talked about it on the last week's episode. Like Donovan's gonna have to 
go back into playing within the system. And he did exactly that. And look what happened. He went off for 38 points that next game. Um, and he's gotten 20 consistently now. Yeah, it's just a matter of these guys kind of going back to what uh, the system is providing them and they're sticking to it. I just, it, it's going to be interesting to see on these bigger uh, battles. I mean, because the, the, the scheduling guys at the NBA office were not kind to us to start the year, that's for sure. So I'm interested to see like if they go back to um, kind of what we did at the end of Golden State game where they, we just stopped moving the ball. Yeah, they need to make sure that they don't stop. They don't uh, stop moving the ball because that's when things get into trouble. I mean, in this right. game, that run that the Mavericks made, the Jazz. Well, I don't know they they were kind of trying to move the ball, but they were failing because they kept turning the ball over. And mm-hmm. it, it's those moments when the Jazz they stop moving the ball, they start playing hero ball, or they start making dumb turnovers, just little things. I mean, Joe Ingles dribbling the ball off his foot. Um, there was another player where I don't know if it was Ricky Rubio or somebody just kind of chucked it out of bounds. They were trying to get to Mitchell and it was an off balance pass and, you know, hucked it into the Dallas bench. You know, those yeah. little things where I think over a three or four minute span, the jazz got like one shot off. And to that point, they'd been shooting around 50% from the field. So it's like, it's not like they're shooting bad. The jazz aren't a bad shooting team. They just find ways to be stupid for a while, <laughs> which, which that's the thing is they're oftentimes they're their own worst enemy as opposed for to the sure. Team. Yeah, I, for sure. Yeah, it's hard to I mean, don't get me wrong. Miscommunication happens all the time. Um, and sometimes, yeah, for these guys, it just happens at some weird moments. Yeah, I I don't really know what to say. I mean, you summed it up pretty, pretty well there. <laughs> yeah and, and I, I criticize them but they have pulled it out they've they overcame those mistakes which you know goes to show they are a good team um and so far i think one of the biggest things what's been an awesome surprise for this team has been the bench i believe you mentioned this last week just the offensive side of the bench is suddenly there um yeah i mean having dante Exum back he's been a bit of a spark but we've also seen george's Nyang. i mean he had Great game, 13 points. Third highest scorer on the team, uh, fourth. Sorry, fourth. Um, he outscored Ricky Rubio and Joe Ingles. So. Yeah, Niang's been not a revelation, but, I mean, he's been that another – he's he's that other diamond in the rough that we've just we just had in our back pocket, and now he's just – he looks ready, like, wholeheartedly he's a great option coming off that bench i yeah i love what the bench is doing they're really just holding their own if not upping the pace a little bit because of dante's speed um it's yeah i i like what they're doing we have a it's really nice to see the depth we have yeah you you saying yang's a diamond in the rough he is he's exactly that he's just like royce o'neill last year you know yeah coming in into the rotation he's not winning you games but he's kind of that behind the scenes doing his thing, pulling his weight and more so that, you know, it's those little things that make winning so much easier. And he was obviously big in this game, several big shots. He was four of five, two of three from three. He didn't miss until like the fourth quarter. Um, like I said, 13 points, really only one rebound, but he was plus five, did his job. And I think his emergence has kind of made 
uh, Tabo Cephalosha a question mark because uh, he did not play. I think this was his first game being eligible now after that suspension. But he did not play even though Derek Favors did not play in this game due to injury. So I, I think that says a lot about Quinn Snyder's confidence in Yang that both Tabo Cephalosha and Alec Burks didn't play in this game. Right. Well, I think that's more or less just effective, like kind of situational, like Denver or not Denver. <laughs> Dallas is, I mean, they've got some bigs and it only makes sense to use Jay Crowder who can just bully anybody and Niang who is another big body. Yeah. Though, uh, Zephalosha has got some length on Crowder. I don't know. I think Crowder's definitely got some weight on him, but. Sure. Yeah, yeah, he's got length, but he doesn't have he doesn't have the weight to kind of take that bump down low really as well as Niang could. Yeah, definitely, because yeah, Niang and Crowder are both in the two thirty, two forty range, um, whereas yeah. I think Cephalosha is in the two twenty, maybe even two fifteen. I don't know what his listed weight is. Um, yeah, so we'll see. Maybe Cephalosha will get in in the next game. They're going to be playing the Timberwolves, who are uh, probably a, I think they're a little smaller. Well, maybe they. They've got a few guys. I don't know if Cephalosha will match up with like Taj Gibson or something like that, but we'll see. He'll at least get some minutes because we've already seen some switch-ups in the rotation because Alec Burks was getting some minutes early on. He didn't play at all, as I mentioned, but Grayson Allen, he got in, had 13 minutes, and scored what I believe was a career-high 11 points. Uh, perfect from the field. Um, yeah. And the He's... free throw line. Yeah, I think I think he's figured out his little niche, and I think Quinn has figured it out too. I think he knows exactly when to put him in and um, when to take him out. Yeah, I'm hoping this continues. I think part of it was that Dallas has some small guards, and I think that allows Grayson Allen to come in because he actually will have at least passable length for a shooting guard. Because um, he's guarding sure. guys like Bray, and I think Dennis Smith is well. He's He's like six three point guard, but they play him sometimes the two, kind of with Doncic. So, or at least they, those two kind of share the one and the two. I don't know exactly how they do it, but um, I'm I'm curious to see if Allen will continue to get this, because again, what we talked about last week and what Quinn Snyder mentioned is that the probably the biggest thing that leans on Allen getting minutes is going to be his defense, and we'll we'll rave about his box score numbers, which were almost literally perfect. Uh, his defense, which is largely unseen, we don't know how he's gonna, you know, how he's gonna do going forward. So, if he can continue to play defense on guys, he'll continue to get these kind of minutes, I think. And if not, maybe we'll see the rotation kind of close a little bit, or we'll see more of Burks. So, who knows? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a long season, so it's basically, I mean, it's probably just going to come down to wear and tear. Just who can I rest and who can I keep in for long amounts of time? <laughs> it's honestly, I th- it's honestly what I think it's going to come down to. I mean, obviously, you're going to see your usual suspects get the the majority of the minutes, but yeah, you talk about wear and tear. There's already been some wear and tear uh, with uh, Jay Crowder. Got he rolled his ankle on what honestly should have been a foul at the end of the game. Uh, ultimately, it was a meaningless play, but yeah, sure. No, he was he was he didn't give him space to land. I'm surprised they didn't call anything. They didn't call because his name's not James Harden. That's why. <laughs> yeah. True. 
There's another play that we should have got. Dante Exum got fouled on a drive, takes two steps, and then dunks it. And he also got clocked by, what was it, Powell? Which they call a technical on that, which, you know, seemed like the right thing. It was an excessive play. Uh, but they didn't give him the dunk and a free throw. Right, like, yeah. Is, that's that the, puzzling. It's like, that's the definition of continuation. It's not like he took seven steps, dribbled six times, and then decided to do a throwaway layup at the end. He took yeah. two steps. Clearly, he gathered while he was getting fouled. Well, he right. gathered like right after he got fouled, to be clear. Just after he, he gathered two steps, and then he shot it. Uh, and it's just like, I've seen that. Granted, I've seen that not called, which is weird. I've seen that called so many times, and then randomly the referees won't. And it's like, what's the definition of continuation here? So Sure. Yeah, and I still need to like kind of, uh, this has really nothing to do with it, but I still need to get um, brushed up on what the freedom of movement is because there's so many things where I'm like, okay, but yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me. I'll have to read up on that. There's random thought, but anyways, continue. <laughs> uh, I don't know. The NBA rules are, I don't care what the NBA rules are because they never get called consistently. It doesn't matter what the rules sure. are, what adjustments they've made. The referees always manage to screw it up. And I've said this plenty of times before, and I know a lot of fans were complaining about the calls in the game. I didn't have so much of a problem with it. There were some questionable things, but nothing consequential. Um, but, but I've always said that the NBA referees are the worst referees of any professional sport I've ever seen. And there's some systematic reason to that just because I think basketball is harder to referee. But when you look at NFL refereeing, the biggest problems there are the rules. Like, what is a catch? What is the tuck rule? All these different refereeing controversies usually arise from dumb rules rather than dumb refs. So, uh, it's, I just I have a problem with NBA officiating from base level. And I don't feel like really any number of rule changes are going to fix that. It's going to come down to better training, better just better referees who are more experienced and are that care about making the right call rather than just, I don't know how to describe this, just kind of the staying in inside the, the referee culture and just doing the things that referees have always done. You know, I hate star calls and I hate all these dumb things mm. the referees do and they're just mm -hmm. inconsistent. And usually there's so many bad games. Um, but that that's my, no, I, I know what you, I know what you mean. I mean, it's one thing for James Harden to literally draw every foul he could ever want. And then like the same thing could happen to another player on the other side of the court. And like, it, it, he could be the one that's at fault and they'll just let it go. No, I see what you, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. It's just uh, in, incredibly frustrating, but uh, moving on to, we're going to talk a little bit more about Derek favors. I know we were talking about this before and, um, before we started recording, um, Derek Favors has he, so he was out for this game for an injury, but he's been less than good. He's not been himself from last year. I, whenever I'm watching him, I don't feel like he's having an impact on the game, not defensively, not offensively, um, barely rebounding or barely an impact in terms of rebounding. And it worries me. And I've heard some things about him being injured, but I mean. Troy, what are your thoughts on Derek Favors so far this season? I mean, he's played like 20 minutes a game. Do you feel like there's some worry about him? Uh, I don't know if there should be a worry. Um, 
mostly because I don't I, I don't know maybe it was because he was playing so well is because he knew it was a contract year I don't know um but he did say kind of in media day kind of answered all the questions before media could even answer it where he's like well, Rudy and I can coexist I have still yet to see that I mean it's working way better than it did you know this point of the year or even halfway through the uh, the year last year um, but I also think that Rudy going out gave him kind of uh, more time to develop and this year they're both healthy and he doesn't have to be told that okay you need to go out and play 35 minutes for me um, and to go back on it too is like the depth thing we just we just have a ton of depth and a ton of rotation that we can throw at people uh, for different situations so I wouldn't say I'm too worried about it. I do think, though, that um, Quinn is more than likely going to throw him in at the five, kind of moving forward. Because your thought was, uh, I think, when we were discussing before we even uh, started recording, was how you think that Jay might become that uh, that starting power forward. Yeah, and when you look at these first few games, I mean, even before, because Crowder started at the four today because of the injury, but before he was averaging more minutes per game, significantly more minutes per game. I think Derek Favors was, uh, I think, officially like 22 minutes per game, something like that. I'm looking it up right now. And Jay Crowder is like a hair under 30. So he's at 30. He's 30.2, excluding this last game where he played 35, and Derek Favors is at 22.2. And... Mm. I just feel like maybe Quinn's just phasing Derek Favors out because this year is kind of a contract year for Derek Favors too because I think he's on like a two-year deal and the next year is like a team option or a non-guaranteed or something like that where the Jazz, if they wanted to, they can just cut him off and, and go with something else. And I'm wondering if that's the right thing. We we had this discussion several times last year about Derek Favors. At the trade deadline, we were thinking he was gone. You know, We feel like he couldn't coexist and things are going badly, and then after the trade deadline, the Jazz actually got Jay Crowder, and things started looking a lot better, and I think part of that was because Derek Favors could get moved more to the five. He wasn't actually playing so much with Rudy Gobert at the four. He was being a lot more effective as that backup um, center, and Jay Crowder was kind of filling in as the starting, or, you know, the the majority power forward. So, it's entirely possible. Uh, I said this. We were doing a a chat with uh, the SLC Dunk Riders that got published, and I mentioned you know the possibility of Jay Crowder starting in the future. And I legitimately think that's a possibility that Jay Crowder could end up being the starting power forward, if not in actual name, he will effectively be the starting power forward by the end of the season. I think he'll be finishing out games at the four. Um, whereas you know Derek Favors is largely going to get relegated to being a, a de facto backup five, um, mm-hmm. and he's really good in that role, but he he's kind of stuck between you know being a, a pretty good five. He's a really good modern five, but he's stuck in a system in a in a lineup where he has to start the game and play five or six minutes as a power forward before the Jazz can get anything going. And I'm wondering if that'll end up handicapping the Jazz moving forward where they're playing five minutes with a lineup that can't quite work things out before they start getting things rolling. 
Oh, like teams are gonna just go at it. Well, I mean, on offense, like defensively, they'll they'll be just fine, I think. But offensively, you can pack the paint, and unless Ricky Rubio is having a really hot day from three, and Derek Favors manages to hit one or two threes like he can like every fifth game or so, then offensively you'll be handicapped for a few minutes unless you get something spectacular from one of Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles, or Ricky Rubio. And then maybe once you get Jay Crowder out there, you can spread things around, you know, all these different things. So. Sure. Yeah. No, yeah, I feel like you'd get a lot more production out of him if he's thrown into the five spot. He's more comfortable there. Um, and then he wouldn't be asked to go out and shoot three to stretch the floor because he could just worry about protecting the paint. Yeah, and he's a guy who's not really able to hit threes all that much. He's worked on it a lot, mm-hmm. and he's taking about one three per game, although I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he took like three or four against uh, one of in one of the games. I can't remember which one. But, yeah, I do agree that the five is definitely his place. Um, and I, He's been battling this his whole career. You know, just a couple of years in to his time with the Jazz, we were talking about him being a five instead of a four. You know, and there was the whole thing with Ennis Cantor. Because everyone thought Ennis Cantor should be this stretch four, which was kind of a weird idea. But, I don't know, it, it, it's something that the Jazz will have to deal with going forward. And, and it really hurts, and I said this a lot last year, where because Derek Favors is one of my favorite players. I love watching him play and do well. But... It just does feel like that he's this piece that he's kind of this odd man out. He's this part of the rotation that doesn't seem to fit. Everything else seems mm. to have a perfect fit. You know, from Donovan Mitchell to Joe Ingles to Jay Crowder, Royce O'Neal, and all the guys on the bench, they seem to know exactly where they're supposed to be, exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And then there's Derek Favors, who starts every game out of position. Yeah. It just doesn't quite feel right, and I don't feel like it's it's not fair to Derek Favors or the Jazz because nobody's really benefiting from that. And I wonder if maybe you have to sacrifice a fan favorite and a guy who's been wonderful for this franchise. Maybe you have to do his best for both him and the Jazz and either tell him, look, you're going to be a backup forward or a backup center and not the starting power forward or do something I'd rather not see and trade him away to somebody who can use him. You know, any any number of teams who could use a starting caliber and at his best, a borderline all-star center in Derek Favors. So. <laughs> huh. It just got very depressed. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's move on. You want to talk about Dante Exum replacing Ricky Rubio? <laughs> I've got all, I'm full of these hot takes right now. Full of these early season hot takes. Huh. I, I mean, save that for another episode, I guess. I, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the maybe. argument may be there, but I don't know if it's there yet. Uh, I, I don't think. If Dante's going to replace Ricky Rubio, it's going to take about 60 games of Dante consistently outperforming Ricky Rubio. Um, and there's a number of reasons I wouldn't do it now, although there was a minute there I thought Dante was going to finish out the game and Ricky Rubio was going to stay on the bench, but then they brought him out uh Although, Dante's not been doing so well shooting these last few games. Which can be frustrating because he shoots all of his shots within about six feet, except for a couple of threes a game. So, 
Yeah, but he's making far better decisions, and he's just a, a pain in the ass to stay with on offense. Yeah, it is. You talk about a guy who's fun to watch. Dante X, and he'll get the ball at half court, and he'll run towards the basket, and it's like, good luck stopping him. I mean, he outrun J.J. Barea, whose thing is being fast. J.J. Barea just just reminds me of like the definition of the little man syndrome. He's just smaller than everybody, but he's got this rage. And oh my gosh, this is like the first time in years that I haven't seen J.J. Barea just absolutely go off on us because he usually does. And it just bothers me to no end. Yeah, I had that same thought when the game was going on. I was like, Bray is not really doing his thing against the Jazz. Did, did he get left? Did he, like, stay home or something? And Did they just pull some guy out of the stands and put a Bray jersey on him? Because, you know, you, you could do that. Yeah. J.J. Bray, I, I, I respect him, and that's I don't like saying that. I respect him because of a guy of his stature. He has pretty good talent, and to be fair, he can go off on people. And he's dangerous pretty much any time of the of the of the day, but I just I don't like him. He... <laughs> yeah, if you think about it, the best like objectively best basketball players, at least in terms of just pure basketball skill, are guys who are like six foot two and under. If they can stay in the league, like those are objectively the best basketball players are the short guys who can stay in the NBA just because they're so dang good. You can ignore the fact that they're five foot ten, right? So, I mean, that's the thing with like Isaiah Thomas back when he was he averaged like twenty eight, twenty nine points a game. He was probably the best scorer in the NBA that year because he's five foot nine and managed to score more points than the seven foot or like a six eleven Kevin Durant, who can just rise up over literally anybody and just shoot over them without fear of getting blocked. Yeah, it's uh, it's a weird world we live in. It's guys like Bray that give us short people hope. <laughs> Something like that. I still like to... Anyways. <laughs> uh, I need to stop being such a negative person. <laughs> In our intro, we I have two straight negative quotes from you. That's that's your yeah. that's your persona in this. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just in a more uh, loving mood today. I don't know. Because they put you in a depressed mood by talking about Derek Favors leaving. That's just a depressing thought for any Jazz fan, is Derek Favors not being on the Jazz. Right. Yeah, but I mean, but you're right, though. I mean, if it's either do him a favor and give a team, give him off to a team that can use him and get him for kind of not necessarily a bargain, but, you know, they wouldn't have to fork out the money to hand him over to get him. Uh, and then you either get assets back or, you know, another player that could kind of fill that void because yeah, I mean, I think Crowder and Niang are going to be your two power forwards moving forward. Uh, obviously Cephalosha is going to play that position, but I feel like he would be uh, better off coming in for Ingles, relieving him of his duties at the three. Yeah. I think Cephalosha is going to end up being kind of this reserve. Him and Alec Burks are going to just be there for depth filler. You know, if sure. Ingles, Maybe Ingles gets in foul trouble or, you know, something happens or maybe somebody rolls an ankle like Crowder did because Crowder's going to be out a couple of games or so maybe, depending on how serious his ankle roll is. Um, you know, Cephalosh will obviously be getting some minutes in the next couple of games. Um, 
And I think that's what he's going to end up being for is to be that guy along with Alec Burks. You know, if Royce O'Neal or something happens to one of those guys, they'll come in. So I think that's what Cephalosha and Burks role will be. Um, just, just can't be that filler. Cause yeah, I think Ning is, has earned his way into the rotation and everything else is, is pretty much set. Um, at least for now. Things happen, but I think we've kind of managed to see we're getting into the rotation. We know what's going to happen. Um, sure, and getting rid of Jonas Derebko, like makes a lot more sense now because they, they saw what Niang was able to do. And honestly, Niang at this point, like I know it's still early, but he's far more consistent than Derebko ever was. Derebko, I, I appreciate everything he did last year because he stepped up when we absolutely needed it, and that was awesome. But I think Niang is... Kind of, I think that's to me. That's exactly why they got rid of him was because Niang could take that on this season. Yeah, he's he's able to do basically everything that Jarebko did. He's so far as I've seen him, he's been a better defender, which is a little surprising. He doesn't look like a great defender, and nothing about him screams great defender. But you know, in several possessions where I saw him, he was staying in front of guys, doing what he could. He's He's not a lockdown guy, but Drebko, I mean, watching him in the playoffs, I watched Carl Melo Anthony just absolutely roast him in two straight possessions. Like, okay. And that was when I tweeted out my Drebko should never see the floor again in the playoffs. Of course, the next game he scored like 15 points. But <laughs> defensively, he wasn't great. But I, I, I agree with what you said where, you know, you know, I, I liked what Jarebko did. I have nothing against the guy, and I'm glad he's going to do well on the Warriors and get a free ring. But <laughs> Yang brings upside. He's thir- he's 25. I almost said 35. He's 25, and Jarebko's – I think Jarebko is about 35, isn't he? Do you know how old he oh, is? Oh, I don't, I don't think he's that old. No, I think he's I think he's younger than Ingles. Really? Uh, now I got to Yeah, he's probably in his late 20s. Really, I thought he was in his thirties. I don't. I don't know. All I know is is that he is Scandinavian, so he doesn't look like he ages, anyways. Scandinavian. He's Swedish. Let's see. Looking him up now. He is thirty-one. I think he's. Oh. But he's about the same age as Tabo. Huh. Thirty-one, t- looking like he's twenty-two. Yeah, he's. Yeah, just you know. Some guys don't age. Some guys age a ton. Like Pau Gasol looks like he's 50, but he's I think he's only like 38. Oh, that's because um, he smokes meth. <laughs> Dirk Nowitzki also looks really old, too. Of course, yeah. he's 40. Yeah, well, and he moves like too. it, too. <laughs> he moves like my grandpa who was like 75 or 80 or something like that. I can't remember oh, yeah. I'm surprised, he, I'm surprised he even runs up the court, man. I swear, <laughs> he needs a walker sometimes. The way he just like waddles up and down the court. <laughs> it's like why are you still playing basketball it's like do you even enjoy this anymore he just wants more money to go back to germany and retire on dude, <laughs> that's he, all he wants dude he could make enough money to live on just by going to germany and holding basketball camps and stuff like that and speaking things like he's he is german basketball every i'm sure, sure everybody back there loves him to death and, yeah uh, understandably yeah, but well, he's also Mark Cuban's buddy, so Mark Cuban ain't going to let him go until he has like some career-ending injury. Uh, Mark Cuban just he can be kind of a jerk sometimes. He's just a businessman. 
He's, yeah, he's he's uh, he's one of those. Yep. <laughs> uh, uh, one of my favorite moments though is when he did an April Fool's joke where he had a fight with the referee. You oh ever, really? Ever see, yeah, like before the no. game, he like got into this kind of fake shoving match with one of the referees, and I think he uh, about gave there was one guy I think it was like the head coach or somebody about had a heart attack when he saw it. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was pretty funny. They're just going at each other. Uh, you're not really throwing anything because you know they're obviously not trying to hurt each other, but enough to try and sell it. So it was a nice moment. Huh. That's about the only good thing I've ever seen out of Mark Cuban. It'll probably be oh, the last. Fair. Yeah. All right. So things are starting to slow down a little bit. Um, <laughs> we're running out of things to talk yeah, it's, about. Yeah, it's, it's coming to a, a crashing uh, stop right right here. Yeah, if we're talking about Mark Cuban, things have really slowed down. So I, I guess looking at next week, we've got three games, uh, Minnesota, Memphis, and Denver. Again, two of them are on the road. We're playing a, a stretch of, well, five road games in – two weeks we get one game at home against the grizzlies who we've already shown we suck against so like you said earlier the schedule makers didn't do us any favors so oh yeah man i mean we play we play memphis on friday and then we play them two weeks from that on a on a monday <laughs> and we're playing another back-to-back next week because we're I... playing we're playing memphis and then we go to denver granted that's not very far i could almost drive there but anyway, I, do you think we can go three and zero next week? Think the Jazz can can pull that off, get a six game win streak going by the time we talk next? Yeah, I mean it's possible. I mean Minnesota is in complete disarray. Um, I'm honestly surprised they've even won two games. But um, Memphis, I mean, I, I think that that Memphis game back at home is just going to be kind of a revenge game for us. So yeah. I, I, I would like to, but also Denver is apparently really good this year. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone really underestimated Denver, and I think I did too. Going in, like people were talking about Denver, and I was like, eh, it's Denver. And then kind of in the back of my mind, I was like, you know they have good players, but obviously I'm just biased, so I didn't think they'd be good. But yeah, I think that will be a very challenging game, and I think down the road, again, you know, when you go – all the way to the end of the season and we're talking playoffs, we're saying, all right, we've, you know, we're at this point in the season series, these games early on do matter where sure. if you win this game one and oh, and then you go down the road and the end of the season, you're up two one in the series. Yeah. This game actually does matter a lot and it can have, and with a team like Denver, it's going to have playoff implications because I no, think they're going to be Memphis. Memphis in the playoffs. I yeah I think Mem I think Memphis Memphis just I think they reached a point I mean you remember one of the last games we played against them last year they were killing us they took they took Marcus All out of the game because they're not playing to win they're playing to lose they wanted that draft position Memphis has never been bad like I'm actually I actually have kind of been a fan of Memphis for a while just because of the way that they play the way that they've built that identity on the grit and grind type thing. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised to see Memphis in like the seven or eight seat, honestly. Uh, I'd hesitate to say that just cause there's a lot of really good teams. I look at the Lakers and uh, I mean, I guess there's a couple of teams that could drop out. I think the thunder and the Rockets. I mean, 
Somehow the Thunder and the Rockets are one and four. They're both one and four. I just barely realized that looking at the standings. Oh, it, OKC doesn't surprise me. Houston does. Houston yeah. surprises me. OKC but, doesn't surprise me at all. That is that is that is an implosion going on there. Houston has been without Chris Paul and James Harden for sort of half their games, you know, one or the other. So that's a little understandable. But I did think the Thunder would be better. So. And we'll obviously things will clear up once we get to about 20 or 30 games in. We'll have a real clear picture of what the standings might end up looking like. Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if the Grizzlies will get in, but there's going to be a couple of teams I think shift out of the playoffs. Um, maybe the Spurs and definitely the Timberwolves are going to fall out probably, which is going to leave a couple spots. So maybe the Grizzlies are. I'd probably say no, but I've been wrong plenty of times before. So. All right, that's going to do it. That'll wrap it up for us here. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Hashtag Jazz with Jason Walker, Trey Sanders. We'll talk to you next week.